Got it. Five. Hang on. Sorry. You're good. That's worse. Right. <laughs> Don't you hate it when like the camera moves a little <laughs> yeah. bit and then it like fucks with you? I, I haven't figured camera. out how to mess with the zoom either, and I feel like mine is like too, too far in. Yeah, it's like too zoomed in. Like I want to be like, like you know, you, yeah, I got you. But I can't do that without doing the gangster lean. So that yeah, that's probably uh where your camera is placed issue. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a lot of space to work with here. As yeah, you've that's seen. Um, okay, five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike. Hey, how's it going? It's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, you know, <clears throat> still uh, Invader League's winding down. Um, getting ready to play the finals. Um, so that's cool. And awesome. uh, other than that, yeah, things are going great. How are you doing? Good. I um, I'm good. I went to New York last week and. Uh, I just randomly dropped into a local game store and watched some dudes play MCP. So that was interesting. That was nice. an experience. Yeah. I, uh, my, you're, my first real exposure to MCP. So you're just like into all of Atomic Mass's games now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't, I've yet to experience Shatterpoint. I know. We got to make that um, or X Wing for that matter. Uh, so wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You never played X Wing? No. Not a single game. I, my first FFG slash amg game was legion um i came over from gw games so i came over to play legion and yeah from in my what it's five six years of playing legion never played one game of x-wing that's which fair. you know I, I don't know i just whenever i was somewhere with gaming time i played legion so <laughs> yeah i definitely i remember bullying you into playing armada online a couple times yes oh. that i have played <laughs> wow. um which was super fun yeah um, but yeah, X-Wing is uh, the the final frontier as far as the AMG Star Wars games is considered for me that I have not yet played. So, um, yeah, I don't know. One day. One day. Someday. So, yeah, but I can say that I've experienced MCP and that the miniatures are ridiculous. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> give it, give us some of those, man. Not make, make it so that our Ewoks have custom poses like all those sweet MCP things. Oh, Dude, I... <laughs> You know what? I have them right here. I'm gonna here. I finished putting the Ewoks together. I I don't usually I've I've not criticized the Legion sculpts in a while because they have generally been great. Um but like first of all, all of every single Ewok is left-handed. Um which baffles me. <laughs> like I mean, whatever. But yeah, I get you. Is there some kind of genetic reason they're all left-handed? Uh, is this like a Lucasfilm thing? Maybe I don't know. it's maybe they climb trees with their right hands, so they left hands are weapon hands. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm not going to do this justice on the camera because I'm not even like showing this properly. But basically, this is five of the eight models yep. in the Ewok kit, right? The uh, um, <clears throat> so the other three are the unit leader, yep. the axe guy. And then the trapper. So those okay. are obviously like different distinct models. These five, three of them are basically the same. Um, these two are identical. They're not next to each other, so that's not helpful. And they're also not on the screen, so that's also <laughs> there nice. we go. These two are one hundred percent identical, literally the same cast. This guy is the same pose, uh, except his foot, his front foot is angled slightly differently. Otherwise, it's the exact same pose. Um, and then these two are 
completely 100% identical. And since there's no like, and the, by the way, four of these five are on one sprue. So you've got one sprue with two identical, two pairs of identical poses. Uh, that, that would make more sense if like there were multiple sprues in the box, I feel like. Right, which is kind of how the, like, that's how the Wookiee kit was. Yeah. Except the Wookiee's arms were more posable and they had like different arm options and stuff. It was, this is literally like your arm options are spear or sling. That's are it. you talking about the new Wookiee kit? Yes, the new Wookiee kit. That's good because they were half off on Amazon this week and I bought them all. <laughs> all the Wookiees? <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah. Look, man, for like $18 a box, you really couldn't go wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, the new Wookiee kit is pretty good. But yeah, yeah the Ewoks. So uh, four of the eight models in the box are literally identical to at least one other model in the box. And the fifth one, the fifth generic dude is almost identical um, to one of those. So you have three that look exactly the same as the, each other, and then two that look exactly the same as each other, five out of the eight. Hmm. And these are all the generic guys, right? And there's no like, there's no normal extra Ewok. The extra Ewok is your trapper. So even if you take best case scenario, you take like all of the extra dudes, right? So three out of your eight Ewoks are um, the special dudes. That essentially means that like, more than half your army five out of eight are copies of each other or copies of two different minis do you think these ewoks just like came from camino and not indoor <laughs> but then they should have token sharing mike <laughs> i mean don't they don't they sort of with um what's c3po's ability he's got like uh i'm i'm like a masterful god or something I don't, he just hands I don't out search tokens that is not remotely the same as token sharing he also I has... mean, um, doesn't what's his face have aid? Yes, um, Logre. Logre has aid, which is good. Don't get me wrong, it's but good. also not token sharing. No, it isn't. I'm I'm reaching here. But I'm... <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. If I was playing an Ewok army, an all Ewok army, I might go through the trouble to sh try and like, you know, switch some hands or something. I don't know, because having like more than half your models in your entire army be not only like monopose, but the same monopose uh, would be frustrating to me. Yeah, but, I bet you there's a ton of um, third party stuff out there, too. I would imagine. Sure. Yeah. Not yeah. that we're advocating for that. No, uh, but, but you know. yeah, I don't think it would be that hard to like chop off the, the spear bits and like put them in the other hand. And I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um. Anyway. I was a little disappointed in that kit. Uh, luckily, I, at least for now, I'm not playing an entire Ewok army, so it's not a huge issue for me. But anyway, that was a tangent I did not intend to go on on this episode. But... Okay. I brought it up for a reason. You did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we are not going to talk about hobby or posing or sculpts on this episode. We're going to talk about turn zero or... Mm as it's called turn zero but basically the, the setup slash veto phase and more specifically battle card vetoing uh we're not going to talk about deployment or anything like that we're literally just going to talk about turn zero and which cards to veto for which lists and why we're going to go through some live examples um i feel like this is to me one of the most interesting parts about legion because most other games don't have any kind of you know, most of the games have static objective setup or they have random objective setup. 
Um, and of course, this isn't just for objectives, right? It's for deployments and conditions. I feel like this is one of the most unique and interesting part about legions to me. It's also one of the the ones that takes the longest to master. Um, to the extent that I feel like I could still improve in this area after playing for five years. I feel pretty um, confident that there is not a single person that plays this game that is like perfect at this. I I, I would I would go as far as to say it's impossible to be perfect. At this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this is probably one of the like if you feel like you're a really good Legion player, if if you're one of the best players in your local meta, um, and you go to a convention tournament and you get wrecked, this is probably the reason. Uh, I feel like this is kind of like the final frontier is the wrong word, but it's kind of like the thing that takes the longest and the most reps and the most exposure to different people and different lists to improve. Um, you know, there are things like positioning and timing and all that stuff that comes earlier in your Legion experience and that you can practice against fewer, less varied people. But I feel like turn zero is the thing that really only comes once you start hitting that, you know, quote unquote tournament circuit and you play players of much more varied skill levels and more varied lists on more varied tables. Yeah, so. I, I agree. And I think like being able to navigate turn zero in such a way that is advantageous to you allows you to like unlock how to use all of the other things, right? So like being able to make it so that you can use the tactical positioning stuff in a way that is more efficient because you chose deployments that'll that make it so that you don't need to give up moves to get into place to be able to start doing that stuff or um and, and it's completely independent of the board right like the terrain completely changes that every game right uh, and and being able to parse through that and figure it out um is kind of it's definitely like an enter the matrix skill a little bit i think in that regard yeah i agree i feel like um it's a little bit less important than it used to be that sort of thing but it's definitely still extremely important depends um, on if you're uh got payload in your battle deck or not amg <laughs> uh, can we please just make the payload hover one or something you don't have to make it fly again but it's a repulsor vehicle just make it hover one make it playable again it's such a good objective um it's such a fun objective to play uh and it would be such an easy fix to make it playable again. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> playable. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, I know. <laughs> That's one of those changes where, like, the easiest solution when you swallow the fly is not to eat the spider; it's just to spit out the fly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just put it. Just put it back. Just put it back. Right. Just right. Um. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We could this is, we could have a whole separate episode about like that whole thing, uh, but uh, we're going to talk not specifically about payload or any other changes um, that could potentially be flies that are spit out, but we're going to talk about basically how to do how to do battle cards, how to do vetoes with turn zero. So we're gonna the initial part of this is going to feel a little bit one oh one ish. So I apologize if this is like all stuff you listener know already 
Um, but like we said, this is an area that even I and Mike uh, continue to imp want to improve at, and nobody has really mastered still after six years of the game being out. So, um, yeah, let's let's get into it. it. Should we talk about before we get into specific examples? Should we talk about some sort of like basic basic truths, if you will, about the veto process and how it works? Basic truths. Interesting. I'm 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 interested to to hear what your basic truths about the veto process are because my immediate response to that is there are no truths to the veto process. It's different always. Sure. I'm talking about things that are always true. One of which is that red player can force the third slot in any given row. Yes, that's fair. Okay, so for those that don't understand why, um, it's worth kind of walking through how this goes, right, with two vetoes. The first is that obviously blue vetoes one, then red one, then blue one, then red one. So if there's a card in the third slot, if blue does nothing to that row, if they pass twice or they veto other rows or whatever, obviously red can just double veto to that third slot, and then blue doesn't get a veto after red's last veto. So that's it. The third slot is is what you're playing. If blue vetoes um, the first slot in that row, then red can hold their first veto or use it on a different row. Uh, and then, you know, blue can either leave that row alone or veto the second card. If they leave the row alone, then red vetoes the second card with their last veto, and you end up with the third card. If blue vetoes the second card in that row, then red holds their veto again and they use it on a different row or they pass and you end up with the third card again. So that's a long way of saying understand that <clears throat> red player can always force the card in the third slot. And it's good to know that kind of like going into your turn zero because if you're blue player and there's there's a card in a given row that gets flipped that's like particularly advantageous to red in that third slot it's worthwhile to understand that they're strongly incentivized to force that card and how they're going to get there, right? Which means that you should be using your vetoes on the other rows to try and make your situation, you know, the least disadvantageous as possible. Yeah, that and makes I, sense. I would go as far as to say you should attempt to use your vetoes to kind of bait them into making a mistake and like i i think there's a little bit of a head game that goes on with turn zero yeah. sometimes particularly because like people are not good at turn zero for the most part like your average to above average legion player is gonna get something wrong in turn zero most games um and like i i would say that even like i'm you know I would say 30% of my turn zeros still to this day. Like if I could go back and redo them, I would change something, you know? Um, and <clears throat> hindsight's obviously 2020, right. but I, I think a big part of it is like, if you can, you know, ban to like a deployment that they like really don't want or, or what they might think they really don't want. Um, like maybe you band it towards like danger close or something when they they really want that third one but they're looking at danger close and maybe you're on a melee skew and they're not realizing that they can just like deploy in their back corner <laughs> as opposed to deploying on the front right. line yeah um 
you can sort of play a little bit of a mind game there. So I think, I do think this is kind of, to me, the first place in the game where kind of a little bit of like the poker stuff kind of starts happening um, in, in higher level Legion, where you can start to play on your opponent's fears and, and things like that um, a little bit. Uh, yeah. And it, it helps if there are some things in the deck in the other rows and situations like that that are like really genuinely good for you. Yep. Um because then you're forced on a choice, right? Like if if you're playing Ewoks, right, and there's Limbiz, um then you know, maybe that's a situation where they have to end up using their veto on that instead of forcing that third slot. So Yeah, and to give I guess more of a specific example about this that's like pretty recent in competitive legion is like blizzard and the bombing run breakthrough thing like blizzard's best objectives are hostage and kp by like in most matchups um, yeah obviously like we can we can, like you know we'll drill down that on that in a minute but like what ends up happening a lot of the times is like people end up just banning breakthrough and bombing run to get to the good objectives because they're scared yep. they're scared of it right and it it gives Blizzard more play in turn zero because you don't you're like okay well if you're gonna ban the things I was gonna ban anyways like I'm just gonna ban in other rows to get to my good the better deployments and conditions and stuff right um so the yeah there's a little bit of tactical mind games going on there yep for sure because you have to you almost have to think about how each situation is gonna play out over the course of the game based on your matchup. And I've given this example before, but um, in my Nova game against Josh, who ended up winning that tournament, um, the game that he bounced me in, he was playing Blizzard and I was playing Anakin. And this is the tournament that I left Padme behind, and this was the matchup where I regretted it. Uh, specifically in this case, not for her excellent token sharing abilities, but sp for Secret Mission. And we were using his deck, because he was Blizzard, and um, obviously I wasn't bidding with Anakin uh, so it was one of those situations where based on how the cards flipped out, um, I think, I don't remember exactly where the slots were, but basically I had a choice between either disarray and breakthrough or, um, hemmed in and hostage. And obviously facing Vader on hemmed in and hostage is not a good situation, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, but on Breakthrough, it would have been even worse for me because we both had nine activations and Disarray, he would have been able to force Disarray if I forced Breakthrough. Um, so uh, we um, basically like since you're forced to put a unit in your quote unquote weak zone, right? You got you to gotta put at least one unit in each of your zones. So in my case, I would have had to put one unit in my far corner. And obviously he can put the bikes wherever. Yep. Um, in that situation, he collapses on that one weak zone unit. Um, his stuff is faster than mine generally, so he probably scores nine and then also kills a unit, which puts me down eight to nine, right? Yep. Um, and if if I had had Padme in that situation, then that's another scoring unit that brings it back up to nine to nine, and then all I really have to do at some point is kill a bike or anything else, and then we're good. Um, so that was a situation where like. I could see in my head that if I ended up playing breakthrough, even though in, in a lot of situations that would be better for me, uh, I was going to have to be on disarray and I was automatically going to start down 
one unit because of how the disarray deployment works and especially how it works against bikes. Yeah. Um, they don't have to give anything up in that scenario, really. Right. So um, in that situation, I ended up playing hostage, hemmed in, because it was at least like a situation where I'm like, all right, I can force a slugfest and see what happens. Whereas I knew what was going to happen in that disarray breakthrough situation. So these are all things that you have to think about, like, during the veto process. And it's worth, I'm not saying spend 10 minutes on the veto process. Please don't do that. But you know, spend an extra minute or two if you need to, to like kind of play the game out in your head where you're like, all right, if I veto this card, he's going to go here and this is what's going to happen in the game. And if that happens, you know, I, this is I, how the victory points are going to come out. So I know that we don't want people to spend 10 minutes on the veto process, but I do want to highlight that I actually think that like if you're unfamiliar with turn zero like it probably should take 10 minutes and i'm not advocating for you to be unfamiliar with it i want to be very clear about that um but like that's how long it's going to take to probably get it right if you don't know what you're doing right to think through everything and go through the process which is why it's important to know what you need to be doing ahead of time yeah and i think too the 10 minutes like if you're doing practice games at a local or in your garage or whatever i think that's totally fine you just make sure you're upfront with your opponent about like hey yep. you know i'm working on my turn zero do you mind if we spend a little bit of extra time on it um you know so that it's not just a situation where you're sitting there staring at the cards and like what are you doing now yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> um, like and and don't yeah. do that at a tournament obviously um but yeah i think it's fine so yeah yeah in a tournament, it would be very frowned upon if you took 10 minutes uh, to, to go through battle cards. Yeah, um, or really do anything. Yes, <laughs> any, yeah, any for one sure. thing. For sure. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, um, please. Unless you're using chess clocks, and then I guess who cares? Yes, but, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, please don't spend 10 minutes in a tournament doing anything. <laughs> but, the, but that is part of the reason that this process is hard, is that yep. it, it is time-bound. It, it is time-bound. And it is, it is a lot of forethought that you have to put into what is going on when you haven't even like put, you, you kind of have to like, it's a physical abstraction, right? Like you don't have any pieces on the board, objectives aren't placed, like you have no, like if, if you can't kind of like put a picture down of what the, everything's going to look like in each one of these situations, um, as you're going through it, it's going to be really hard to figure out where to get to. Yeah, and this is where visualizing is really important. And I, I don't just mean like sitting there in, in front of the table with everything in front of you and visualizing. Obviously, that's very important. But you kind of alluded to how you can do some of this in advance, not just with experience, but I think you can do it like if you're, you know, sitting on the bus or whatever and you don't have anything better to do except to scroll through Facebook. Maybe close the Facebook app and start thinking, okay, you know, here's here's the list I'm running right now. You know, here's the type of thing I'm doing. Um, and this is how I would handle this particular matchup. If I face whatever, Ewoks, and I'm playing a gun line, here are the cards that are good for me. Here are the cards that are bad for me. Um, you know, if this card ends up in the third or fourth slot, you know, here's how I would approach that kind of a thing. Like you can, you can kind of visualize those general concepts just in your free time without even a board in front of you. If you, have an idea of what kind of list you're playing, start thinking, you know, the first thing, really the the most fundamental thing about this process is understanding which cards are good for you and which cards are bad for you. Yep. 
um once you get that assuming you can diagnose that accurately you're like 60 percent of the way there so should we yeah. go through some specific examples yeah let's do it let's do it so um i'm going to share my screen here for all you audio listeners out here we are going to describe this as best we can and um in audio detail but uh i would recommend um maybe uh checking out the uh the youtube video um at some point uh can you see my screen ka i can see your screen sweet is it the right screen uh it is yoda okay sweet (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, so uh, what I've done here is we're going to go through and we're going to take a look at, I've pulled all of the lists from recent tournaments Uh um, that we're going to use. I also pulled some uh, images from uh, the latest Invader League, uh, some top-down and side images we're going to use to kind of just like look at the general board. Um, I don't know how useful that's going to be to the discussion, but um, I wanted to... Uh, my hope is that it maybe highlights how some cards might be not as great for you um, in certain circumstances, but I would like to specify that I did not curate this in any way, shape, or form beyond the lists and the tables. The turn zero flops are, I just took what what rolled and we're going to talk through it. Um, and so what we're going to do here is I'm going to kind of talk from a kind of like one list perspective and Kyle's going to talk from the other and kind of like what we would be doing um I think from each perspective and I we can like obviously give input uh back and forth um so let's get let's kick into it so the first list we've got here is the uh Yoda Padme list I played at um Crucible uh it is 800 points which is going to be the most relevant thing here um to start with, the list we're gonna play it against, because if it's this is working, um, is a nine act blizzard list. Um, Josh played this at Nova. This yep. is the this is the list of one Nova. Um it is 788. Um and I figured uh Kyle, do you want to be Blizzard or Yoda? <laughs> I think uh I have significantly more experience with Blizzard and you have significantly more experience with Yoda, so um, why don't I do Blizzard and you do Yoda? Okay, cool. Um, the next thing that we're going to take a look at, and this slide is a little bit, I don't know. Um, I didn't know how to do this and like contain all the information <laughs> yeah, in yeah. such a way. So we've got three snapshots here of the board. Um, the middle picture is the top-down version. The top picture is the top board edge and what it looks like from that player's side. The bottom picture is what it looks like from... Uh, the other side of the table and I put them at the top and bottom so you knew which side of the table they were um, again I don't know how much we're going to go through the actual like table here um, before we we kick through it I'm just gonna uh, I guess so Kyle in this situation your blizzard it's 788 to 800 the first decision is you walk up to this table and you have to choose to be blue or red player what are you thinking and doing through that process so with blizzard obviously the bid should give this away too but 95 percent of the time with blizzard uh i'm picking blue regardless of what the table looks like there's two reasons for that the first simply is that if you're blizzard you're running an objective skew list right you've got four bikes in there 
And so you're throwing the quote unquote uh, maneuvering speed objectives in there, which are bombing run and breakthrough. And you've got Vader in there. So you're throwing the Vader objectives in there, which is hostage and KP. And um, not only are you stacking the objective deck in that way, but you're also looking to stack deployments because although this is not as true as it used to be, but uh, bikes still prefer the... Um, I tend to categorize deployments into like two different broad categories. There's the long edge to long edge, and then there's short edge to short edge. I know there are some that are like diagonal, but I put those in the short edge to short edge category because that's kind of how it usually ends up playing out. So you've got like uh, in this list, this is a blizzard list. So you've got the long edge to long edge ones, which are disarray, battle lines, hemmed in, and um, Josh here has advanced positions, which is kind of like in between both. You could put danger close in there as well instead of that. Um, and then the other the other four deployments are the shortage to shortage ones. So those deployments are super important. The objectives are super important. The conditions are sort of less important, but still useful. Um, so I'm almost always choosing blue if I face, if I'm playing Blizzard. The only situation that I would potentially not choose blue is if there's one table side that's like significantly better and I'm facing another speeder objective skew that likely has similar battle cards. Um, so that's the only that's the only situation where I choose red with Blizzard. That's fair. I, I definitely think that um I, I'm in the same boat there. If 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 I'm you in a 788, I'm 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 choosing blue every time, specifically in this matchup for sure. Yep. Um basically for all the reasons you outlined. Yep. Um Cool. So you choose blue, which means we're going to flip uh, um, your battle deck. Uh, but before that happens, I obviously would have to choose a table side here. Yep. Um, and I think kind of just like looking Should we describe at, this map for... Yeah, for the audio listeners. For the audio um, listeners, yeah. Yeah, so I think this is either like a, a Jetta or Tatooine... Um, uh map i forget the name of it i should have written wrote the names of the maps down but alas i did not um but this is part of the invader league season 10 map pack so if you want to go and look at it yourself you totally can it's downloadable um and the general there's a bunch of buildings that are roughly height one there's a couple that are height two on this map the center is defined by two buildings that are i guess kind of um askew from each other and have a walkway between them on a higher level um so you can like shoot through and under it but the two buildings are kind of pillars um in the center of the board and then there's kind of like various scattered build buildings and um hills around the rest of it and those are the the height two buildings are the ones that are in the middle the height two buildings are the ones that are in the middle yes there's one more height two uh building on one of the board edges um and it i think notably this board has a lot of uh terrain that is physically obstructing um silhouettes uh down the long table edges yep um which is which is an important um thing that's actually going to come up in in how i'm i'm going to choose a table side here um so I, I think um, looking at this map, I think I probably would choose the bottom here. Well, I don't know. What does this building right here look like? Uh, it's it's a pretty, it's actually on the right in the upper shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, so it's I think, kind of a low height one. Yeah. So it's, it's worth noting that the, um, 
the buildings to the right and left of the kind of like center pillars here, they kind of serve similar line of sight blocking purposes and that you can like hide things between like behind them that are things like Jedi, which are going to be very meaningful to me and how I'm choosing a table edge. I think I am probably um, choosing the bottom of the board here though, um, specifically for the line of sight blocker that is in the, um, on the bottom area of the board, it's a height two piece. I can hide Yoda behind it very safely. And then I have another line of sight blocker that I can kind of like kick him up to and then ping over to the middle if I need to. Um, hiding Yoda and Padme behind line of sight blockers is pretty intrinsic to how the list works. Um, and if you can do that, it makes it so that your, your opponent just doesn't get to shoot at your vulnerabilities. Um, and that's probably the most important thing about the Yoda list on turn zero most of the time. Um, uh, uh, there's nothing like crazy on this board, I think, that's going to drive me to make any other decision. I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, most of the invader maps are pretty balanced, which is, yeah. is a good thing. I think in this particular case, um, I would also choose the same side as you uh, for two reasons. The Well, the ones you named already, but also that line of sight blocker that's kind of like in the center right from the top down view yep, yep. that one has a nice like largest square area terrain of boxes behind it yep um and if you're dealing with bikes the thing that you really want against the bikes is area terrain uh because even if they get all the way around your cover um you can still get some cover with area terrain so uh, and that's also just a, a larger building to stick Anakin and Padme behind than the other side's line of sight blocker. So, yep. yeah, I agree with that side choice. Uh, cool. So um, with all of that in mind, we will. And, and so to be clear, you know, I think all of that information that we just gave, you kind of have to make if you, you need to like have a plan ahead of time for like how that's going to play out in every situation in every game. Right. Like, and, and table side is going to be completely dependent on the table. So you got to have an idea of what you're looking for before you get there. You got to um, be able to make that decision pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we've got our, our flop here and the flop is uh, for our audio listeners, the objective deck from left to right is sabotage the moisture evaporators, recover the supplies, hostage exchange, key positions uh did i put the wrong hang on a minute yeah here? this is not I I, I, oh boy oh boy all right, all right, all right, all right. i put the wrong one in here i'm sorry uh okay well we're, i'm gonna i'm gonna open up tts real quick and i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna do this i told you i didn't curate it right like mm. i uh <laughs> we just ended up with the yoda battle deck um yeah i'm like i don't like those cards what is this this yeah, isn't yeah, me yeah. being blue i uh i did it and, yeah okay uh let me just get the JSON real quick. Uh, this shouldn't take. Well, while you're bringing this up, quick yeah. pro tip: since battle decks are public now, um, if you don't have like a good understanding of which cards are good for you and which cards are good for your opponent, even if you're blue, look at your opponent's battle deck because they probably bought brought cards that they like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you know, see if see if there's any overlap between what they brought and what's flipped. And uh, if that's the case, then that might be like a good tip off as to which cards they think are good for them. You know, if you don't have a good sense of that yourself. So 
Like I, and the reason I thought of that is because I'm looking at those cards that you flipped. I'm looking at your deck. You're like, what is? What am I doing? Um, <laughs> no, and three of the cards in there, I'm like, I would never play these, right? Yeah. Uh, or two, at least two of them. But then you had key positions and hostage in there, right? Yeah. Which I also have in my deck, so I know that like, you know, if key positions and hostage flip up, those are ones that you're more comfortable with. Yeah. All right. So we're just gonna do this in TTS. I think is the easiest that's, way to do this. That's fine. All right. Cool. Here's the new flip. All right. For our audio listeners at home, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have uh, in the objective row, left to right, bombing run, hostage exchange, key positions, and breakthrough. Uh, we have in the deployment uh, row, battle lines, hemmed in, disarray, advanced positions, conditions is clear conditions. Hostile environment, supply drop, and minefield. So, um, before we go too much further, um, I'm gonna flip back to the table real quick. Mm -hmm. um, and sorry about the sharing screens, everybody on multiple managing sharing multiple windows at present. Um, so, the middle of the board here is gonna probably be this uh the the reason i'm bringing up this up is because kp is in the third slot yep um which means that i am going to be able to potentially ban to it 100 percent of the time um and it's going to be this walkway on this board and this walkway is actually ele an elevated surface that's not on the table the plane that, surface that's awkward it is very awkward <laughs> <laughs> um pretty good for bikes i guess pretty good for bikes probably right? i mean obviously troopers could probably just climb up there as well but yes uh, it means you got to slow down a little bit yeah um so. so definitely something to keep in mind uh that's the first thing i generally talk about with my opponent is like what does the kp look like and how's this you know situation going to play out even if it's not in the third slot i like to have that discussion very quickly um, yep so Anywho, uh, let's um, kick back to the TTS deal. Um, and that's ah. a perfect, perfectly reasonable thing to do, by the way, too, before you even do any vetoes is like, okay, if we end up on KP, which one's going to be the center? Let's pause and measure so mm -hmm. that we both know and we both agree what the center KP is going to be before anybody does vetoes. The worst so. is... And I've done this before and I've stopped doing it because like sometimes you just look at the board and you're like, that's the KP. You don't measure it. You get through the whole process, you band a KP and then like you get, you like start deploying units and like get your measuring sticks out and you realize that that's not actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't put yourself in that position. Yeah. That's a very easy problem to solve and it's totally acceptable to measure beforehand. So, yeah. Okay. So, so you've got the first band here, Kyle. Yep. What are you what are you thinking? So um I think this one is gonna play out pretty easy for me. Okay. Uh, because there's definitely one objective on here that um normally Vader is great at, but I think he is unquestionably worse at than Yoda. Yeah, what's that? And that's hostage exchange. Uh-huh. You're right. And he's mm -hmm. even worse at it against Yoda Pat, eh? Yes, because <laughs> um, that hostage is going to be like in your deployment zone on turn one, basically, or gonna, at, at the at the least at the beginning of turn two. At the right? beginning of turn two, he will have moved five times. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> so, no hope of Vader. Vader's miting that thing and eating it back, which is like the normal play and why Vader's so terrifying on hostage exchange. 
what will definitely happen in that situation will be a slugfest at range three, which is not what Blizzard wants to be doing in this situation. And notably, it'll put me in the driver's seat because I'm winning on ties and we right. will both get our hostages back, probably. If right. anybody's not getting your getting their hostage back, it's you. It's me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, hostage, super bad for me in this matchup. So given that it's in the second slot, um, I feel like what I basically have to do is use both my bands in the objective row. Um, because uh, given if it's in the second slot, the only for, way for me to guarantee as blue player that we don't play it is to ban both the first and the second slot in the objectives, right? Yeah. Because if if I if I pass or use that on another one on the first round, uh, and then I ban bombing run on the second, obviously we're on hostage, and you just pass or use it on something else. Yep. Um, if I use my first ban on something else, and I don't ban that bombing run. Uh, you ban bombing run on your last ban, and then we still end up on hostage. So that's another uh, sort of uh, hard truth about vetoes is that as blue, if you want to ban the second slot in a row, you got to ban the first slot with your first veto, and you got to ban the second slot with your second veto. Um, otherwise, red can just leave it there. So uh, I think that I got to use... I mean, we're we're playing uh, one ban ahead here, but I think I got to use both my bands in the objective row in this particular flop. Yeah, just so I mean, we don't don't play hostage. It's important to know that because if 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 that's your plan, like your first ban is strictly informed by what your your plan for the second ban is. Correct. Right? Like, yep. um, and if you don't stick with the plan, your first ban was basically wasted. And in fact, if you if you ditch that plan midway through turn zero, you're actually giving me like a huge advantage. And this is kind of where like the mind game thing comes in, right? Yep. Like, you know, like if all of a sudden, you know, you ban bombing run and then I ban like clear conditions to hostile environment and like all of a sudden you're thinking like, oh, like is hostile environment bad for me? It's not. But like, you know, I don't know. In any case, um, and then, I think you're and then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because in that situation, right, if I use my ban on something else, then all I've done is ban bombing run for you, and you've basically got three bans. You've given me right. ban, right? Right. Yeah. And, I, and 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 so like to key it over to my situation, um, I think I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, uh, I actually like the objective flops like pretty nice for me. I don't really want to play bombing run, but hostage exchange is like uh, is definitely the thing I want the most. Right. out of everything on the table i would i would give me hostage exchange 100 percent of the time um i think kp and breakthrough the the issue with kp in this situation is that i actually think you can displace me off the, yep. off the thing pretty hard um so um i actually am probably going to be looking to knowing that looking at this flop that if you're going to ban anything in the objective row like it's going through my mind that you're going to have to spend both your bands there um i'm probably going to be looking to spend my second ban on banning key positions which means i've got one other ban to use like early um hemmed in is pretty much just not an ideal place to like banning battle lines to hemmed in not great i don't love it um Especially on, on breakthrough, hemmed in on breakthrough as red is pr is pretty difficult simply because blue can kind of just like divert 
to either your weak zone or whichever zone you don't put units into. So um, it's interesting. So I generally agree with you. What I found with the Yoda list is that hemmed in actually forces your opponent into a very small pocket and it's hard for them to get away with all their units. And I can, I can generally scope a unit. Um, That's fair. Um, but I think generally speaking, um, I would be looking, looking at battle lines and hemmed in and saying, I don't really want to give him a better deployment than battle lines, which is what banning hemmed in, banning two hemmed in would be doing most of the time. Right. Um, and then if I have a choice between playing on clear conditions or hostile environment, um, I've got a bunch of courage one clones. You've got a bunch of dudes with compel hostile environments, just pretty much strictly worse for me. Um, so I think it, with all of that, knowing all of that, I think I'm probably going to pass on my first ban. If you ban bombing run, I'm passing on my first ban. Action. Right. Yep. If for some reason I don't ban bombing run, then you're banning bombing run with your first ban. Uh, no. No. Oh, because no. you could use your second ban on that, and then we'd be so, stuck on hostage. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, so if if you don't ban bombing run, I'm banning clear conditions. I think, um, because that means I can spend my second ban on hostile environment, and I can get supply drop, which is just dope as hell for my deck for my list arcs with marksmen and like for other free aim tokens and stuff like the supply deck for the yoda thing is like pretty pretty stellar sure but would you take that to pass up an opportunity to take hostage i wouldn't be because you would have already passed on i mean are you saying that you would have just like passed twice well in a situation where i don't ban bombing run on my first ban um then you can force hostage guaranteed right yes yes so I think but, I would yeah. I would take the shot in what would be going through in my head my head is that my opponent doesn't know that Yoda is better than Vader on hostage. Right. It, it is is how I would be interpreting yeah. that situation to be, which means that I would be like, okay, they're gonna ban a hostage exchange because bombing run is like I don't I don't I think the bombing run matchup is like pretty even for both sides i can probably get a bike before it drops bomb um particularly if we're like playing battle lines or something and like we can i don't know um it's definitely not as it's it's more neutral though whereas hostage is just straight up better for yoda yes yeah, yeah. yeah. um i think bombing run is pretty neutral i would be okay playing playing bombing run to be honest um so i think not not that i would play bombing run but i think i would take a stab I generally am like a like let's roll the dice and we'll try and high roll yeah. the situation as opposed to not. So I think I would ban clear conditions. Um, if I was playing against you, I'd probably ban. Uh, I probably wouldn't do that. because yeah. <laughs> you 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 know what I'm gonna do. But is, I also would yeah. have known that you've made a mistake already. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So. Um, yep. uh, yeah. So anyhow, um, in, in my perfect world, I yeah. I would be shooting for a supply drop, but I don't think you can really afford it here um, because I do think that you have to ban out of key positions because the speeders just are going to take the middle. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, cool. so essentially, most likely, we end up on breakthrough battle lines clear conditions. Yeah. Ba I think based, based, on the, based on the game theory process we just described. Totally. Um, yeah. uh, and if you have other thoughts, please post them in the comments. We'd love to yes. hear them. Um, yep but i yeah okay cool um so i'm gonna 
reshare the PowerPoint so that we can get into example two. Is there anything yep. else you wanted to outline about example one before we moved on? I don't think so. I think that's um I think that this is a super interesting matchup. I think it's also like a relatively common matchup at top tables these days. Yeah. Um Yoda obviously being a very strong, arguably the best Republic list and Empire uh, Blizzard being still one of the best Empire lists. So um I think that's something that will happen a lot and I yeah. Uh, I think it's also something that where the Blizzard objective strength gets turned on its head a little bit with a couple of those simply because of how good Yoda is at certain objectives. So, Yoda good, man. Yoda, Yoda good. good. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm looking over at my like, you know, whatever, fifteen Rebel units that I got to paint before packs if I want to do this crazy Rebel situation, which we're looking at pretty closely now. Yeah. Um, and then I'm also looking at Yoda's box and I'm like, that would only be one model to paint. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> that is accurate. <laughs> it's a small one, too. I know. <laughs> it's a small one. And a fun one to paint. You know, he is. Super yeah. cool. So I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, so our second example here, our two lists uh, are also lists uh, I pulled this first one from Nova. Uh, this is Nick Bodner's Rebel uh, Cassie and Ahsoka list from, from Nova. Um, so Cassie and Ahsoka, K2, some vets. Uh, double FD cannons, which is why I think this one was like specifically interesting. Um, I have a really hard time. I've started like trying to play Rebels a little bit lately and like mess around with the FD cannons. Man, it's just so hard not to like get them killed without trading I don't the fact the fact that they cannot retreat is yeah I, you, i've you used know how to play it you absolutely do it like it's definitely workable i'm not saying it's bad by any means it's just like you have to be very careful with how you place them on the table yep. and i i, I want to talk about that as we go through like the board and stuff yeah that's good um Okay, and uh, we have the second list here is Mike Cirillo's Separatist uh, Asajj Ventress Triple Magna Guard list from Crucible, um, which was in the finals. Uh, basically, a bunch of range four crit spam alongside like the Magna Guards can can get into melee and mix it up pretty well too. Um, I honestly had a hard time pulling separatist lists because I don't think they're generally very good, but I think this one, this one, one is one of the better ones. So this is what I went with. I think there's uh, there's there's two like clearly um pretty good separatist lists. I think this is one of them. I think the other one is basically this, but with Cad Bane instead of Asajj. That's fair. That's fair. And personally, I prefer Cad Bane, but that's just me. Yeah, um, I'm still, uh, yeah. I don't know. Asajj is is cool too, but she's she's so fragile. She's extremely squish. Yeah. yeah. And now that choke is bad, you know, like you're most of the damage she's doing, you're hacking up stuff with your lightsaber, which is fine, but that's super one dimensional. And I'd rather just have Cad Bane and his more varied toolkit for like fifty less points. Um yeah, and I I think just to like kind of iterate on that a little bit too is that lightsabers right now, um, I think force users are still very good, but I think lightsabers as a tool are like maybe not as good as they usually are, just because there is a lot of dodge proliferation that is shareable presently, just with like this the 
the heavy pike lists and republic kind of being so prevalent right now is makes lightsabers when you're only doing two damage to like a core unit with a lightsaber you don't feel really it's not good yeah no and (laughs) lightsabers have this is a tangent but lightsabers have never been like the primary part of their kit anyway yeah force users that's why they're still playable right right like um it's always been a nice like reliable all right in melee i'm definitely going to kill some stuff um but it's never been like the the reason that you take them right because you could always you could generally take something for half the cost that does as much or more damage than a lightsaber in melee like magna um, guard like magna guard right <laughs> yeah um but yeah now it feels like extra bad because yeah it's like it's <laughs> like you're you're just getting the pierce value generally and like right. that's about it you're like oh yeah. i slapped a you know a pike unit that had three or four dodge tokens and you're like i have to full boat this to kill two models right (laughs) doesn't feel great (laughs) um yeah yeah so um i have us on i I realize i probably could have picked a better table as far as colors go this Um, is very green yeah it's very green Uh, this is this is lamu from invader league Uh uh, season 10 um I is wanted this, to is this the one where Krennic lands and shows is. up and tries I, I th- to recruit? I think so. Yeah, I okay. Could be wrong. Um, I, but I believe that's so. why the shuttle is on the board with the huge wings. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, for our for our audio listeners, this is very. I mean, I guess as Kyle described it, it's very Rogue One Krennic landing in a field. Uh, there's some s- scattered buildings. I think the the big thing with this board is that there's some. Um, some walls that break up uh, a couple segments of the of the board and make it so that there's like six to eight inches to play with where you're completely obscured and so on some angles um yeah there's there's a lot more light cover i would say on this board than on the previous board I think, yes which, um, it's a little bit more open um but there's still enough line of sight boxes i think to to do stuff um so uh would you like to play as the rogue one rebels or um asajj and her cronies uh i would like to play as the rebels simply because it's very similar to what i'm looking at for packs potentially hypothetically cool um so yeah i realize that puts me in the position of having the bid again but that's fine all good yeah i like being red players i I know yeah um so uh, that doesn't mean you're going to have the bid. So walking up to this table, you have the option of being blue or red player, Kyle. What's going through your head? So the first thing is I actually would really like to look at the droid battle deck here, which sure. which I yeah um, we can we can reflip this if you would. Uh... No, um, well, and the reason for this is um i think reflexively most of the time i would probably pick blue uh but i noticed that this deck doesn't have lemon viz in it um it also has mostly long edge to long edge deployments which i think i'm okay with mm-hmm. in this situation uh it does have sabotage which given that this is an 800 point list is not great um but obviously as red player you can just you know, there's no way for blue player to force any given card. So if sabotage ends up really anywhere, you, you like you don't you're not going to be forced to play sabotage as a red player. So 
um i think that's fine and these these other ones are okay you know we're both 10 activations um so breakthroughs probably fine it's a little it's marginally better for the droids because of the suppression action loss i mean you do have two fts oh yeah that's right so that actually that's not good at all for the because <laughs> <laughs> that's literally two things that cannot score breakthrough yeah um that's right i'm not used to playing with fts um so probably the the presence of both breakthrough and sabotage, two objectives that I would really not want to play in the droid battle deck means that I'm picking blue, which I'm a little bit sad about because if you want to go back to the map, yep. Um, I just got done talking about how invader maps are usually pretty balanced. I don't think uh, this one is. To be fair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, this one very much looks like not balanced to the point that even now as i'm looking at it, i'm considering picking red just to do a table side um it helps a little bit that um let me i'm gonna just look over my own powerpoint here at the the deployments that this cassian list has okay uh it helps a little bit that pretty much all the deployments available here are um long edge to long edge mm -hmm. because i think it's i think it's less uh of a skewed map in that direction than it is in the uh sorry the deployments are all shortage to shortage um yeah. and, or diagonal i think those two directions it's a little bit less of a problem than if long edge to long edge and the reason if you look at this map um in the center picture there's like this giant building just below and to the right of the center uh that is also attached to a cliff yep um and if you look like at the top picture it's really either the top or the bottom picture it's clear that that cliff offers like a really good view of the middle third uh section of the map yep which is just a really strong position um and it doubles as a line it, it's a cliff with a line of sight blocker attached to it so that's just a really good position and i would very much want access to that position while playing this map um I think that I will still pick blue because of those two objectives that I really don't want, but I will be very sad about it. Yes, because <laughs> I'm immediately going to snap off picking the bottom board edge here yeah, <laughs> because right. I've played on this map several times and this is the line of sight blocker is as good as it looks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you do have to move a bit on most deployment. I mean, I guess if you're playing like major, I don't even know what is, what do we, uh, You've got in a AP long march major offensive rollout. Ooh, long march rollout. Sign me be, up. Yeah, you can pretty much <laughs> deploy right on top of that thing. Yeah, side me yeah. up. Um, the good news is on the left side of this map, as you're looking at that center one, there's two longish walls that kind of bisect that area that look like you can probably hide from that cliff section behind. You can. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean that helps a little bit. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> I I think I think the problem is that most of the things that you're going to be able to use as like firing positions from that side of the map are light cover, because walls block line of sight, and obviously depending on the angle that you can get cover from them if you just stick your touch them with your toe basically, but, um. It's going to be less useful as a firing position than that cliff. Yeah, so, I also think it's like 
additionally a little bit awkward for you and maybe maybe not awkward i don't know i don't play with fds enough but most of the line of sight blocking terrain here i think i mean are aren't these the fds I'd, I'd actually i guess have to go into the mod and look at it are the fds taller than those walls they i might, think so yeah they might be yeah yeah which means it's less of an issue yeah yeah um uh, but i actually think that uh you were bringing this up when you were talking about taking blue but i do think that generally like um making sure that your fds have good lanes is also like very like important like you're talking about picking a board side and where you want your stuff to go i do think that the the rebel list might choose red more often than most lists that bid just because i think a lot of times table picking a table edge is going to allow you to to deploy your fds in better lanes a lot of the time yeah, except it's awkward because FDs really hate certain objectives. Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. So, uh, yeah. You, you definitely have to get an objective deck. Your opponent has to have an objective deck you want to play Yeah, um, for that to happen. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think FDs are good. They are exceptionally efficient for the range. For the, for the attack pool at the range that you're getting, you know, there's there's really no other comparable range 5 attack pool for this price point. um, Or at all, really, at range 5. Because most range five is like snipers, which are two dice. Uh, but they have some real drawbacks. And, you know, this is why I don't... Personally, I don't like FDs. They make turn zero just incredibly awkward for you. They do. Um, so, which I, I guess is fine, given how cheap they are and what they're giving you with, with the um, ranged advantage. But, yeah. yeah. Personally, I don't like them for that reason. Because I would really like to choose red in this situation, and the FDs just make that impossible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's part of the shtick, right? Yep. Um. All right, so let's uh flip over to the battle flop here, and I think yep. is this is this the right one this time? Is this? Yes. If it doesn't have breakthrough in it, then it's the right one. Okay. Yeah, there's no breakthrough. This is the this is the Cassian yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, this is long range for a lot. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. I just was like, oh, it's like recover the supplies. This kind of looks like the Yoda one, but it's not because mm -hmm. recovery is here because of K two. Um, cool. Um, so for audio listeners, we have in the objective row we have sabotage, KP, intercept, recover the supplies. Deployments are rollout, major offensive, long march, advanced positions. And then in conditions, we have supply drop, clear conditions, rapid reinforcements, fortified positions. You've got the first band, Kyle. Yeah, so it's worth noting, this is definitely one of those situations where you'd want to establish what the KP is. I yeah. think if you look at the map, it's going to be that area terrain with the evaporator things right I'm there. I'm pretty, pretty sure it is too, yeah. Which actually I think is helpful for me with the particular board edge um, because... Uh, as good as that cliff is as a firing position, it's kind of difficult to get off that and around that building towards that KP, whereas it looks much closer to like the areas where you can kind of hide behind those walls going from short edge to short edge. So I think KP is pretty good for me in this situation. I think so too. Um, if we go back to this flop, really the only card I think that is actively bad for me here is um, Sabotage. Simply because you got 800 points and I have 799. Yeah. Um, and FDs are hard to retreat. Well, they're not hard to retreat. They're impossible to retreat. So um, FDs can be kind of a liability on sabotage as well. Yep. Um, so I would I would probably... Um, 
it's a little bit awkward too that major offensive is in the second slot here because I think that um, rollout is much better for me given this map than major offensive is uh, just because I want to be able to use that longish wall that is like on the bottom of the screen that one yep um, and major offensive doesn't allow me to do that advanced positions doesn't really either both long march and rollout would um, I think so that's also like major offensive gives me better initial access to this line of sight blocker than Rolando yeah, does as well. I agree. So that's super awkward for me as blue player because I don't want sabotage, but I also don't want major offensive. And I don't think that there's a way for me to prevent one of those two things from being uh, from existing. Because um, if I double ban a major offensive, then sabotage is just there. That's the objective we play in the top slot. Uh, if I ban Sabotage, then I cannot ban Major Offensive. Unless you also ban Rollout for some reason, which you have no incentive to do. Yep. So, um, I immediately know, before I've made any bans looking at this, that I have to choose between Sabotage and Major Offensive. Um, as which And decide which of those is the lesser of two evils. And I think it's probably Major Offensive. Is the lesser evil? Yes. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think sabotage, specifically for, I think the rebels and with this list, it's it's going to be very hard to shave an activation off when I can just like pull out of range of the FDs. Yes. Um, yeah. So I think, um, but key positions on the other hand is good for me. Yep. Um. So I think what I do is pass probably. Supply mm -hmm. drop mm -hmm. seems neutral. Um, that's seems pretty equally good for both of us. I actually, yeah, we, I have both, have, we both have robots and non-robots. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we both have things that can infiltrate or at least get very, very close to boxes very quickly. So, yeah, I think that I pass because I'm okay with rollout, and I'm saving my second ban for sabotage. Yeah. So, um, I think with 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 that, I mean, in my mind, there's no way. I mean, like. If you don't ban sabotage, I'm just like getting a Christmas gift like yeah. uh, a month early. Um, so I'm just gonna assume in my head that you're probably banning sabotage. And if you don't, great. Um, I'm okay with that. Um, I definitely am not gonna ban it. I'm definitely gonna make you do that. So yeah. on my end of things, uh looking at supply drop, clear conditions, rapid reinforcement, supportified positions. Um, I think for me you know rapid and supply drop and fortified are all like pretty samey as far as like how good they are for me fortified you know make sure is that like my droids that don't get suppression cover will always have cover but it's like way too far away so it doesn't really matter rapid reinforcements i feel like in this specific matchup you know, rapid reinforcing magnas would be cool, but like I also don't want you to be able to rapidly reinforce your FDs into like super sweet spots. Yep. So I don't think it's really I I don't think it's worth double banning to rapid because supply drops already like pretty good for me. I don't know. Um and I think that just kind of brings us back to like I don't really care about what's going on in the objective row because I'm already in the best place it possibly could be. In the condition row, it's like very similar. So I'm really just looking at the deployments. And I think um, I'm kind of in a similar situation to you is like, 
I think major events is like really good for me. Um, and I, what I don't want to have happen is to end up on key positions looking at the middle of the board. So I'm gonna, I think if I was okay, if, if, if the um, KP was placed differently or like a little closer to me and not mm -hmm. so biased towards you, um, I actually would be very play, okay playing KP normally. And I think I would probably pass here um, with the intent of playing KP after you ban Sabotage. However, um, with how skewed it is for you, I'm going to spend my first ban on banning rollout to major offensive so that I can spend my second ban on banning to intercept the transmissions. Um, yeah, and actually in hindsight, so then I would spend my second ban on sabotage and you would spend your um, second ban on keep KP. Yep, going pushing us to intercept major O supply drop. Yep. Um, so in hindsight, and this is, you know, we talked at the, beginning of this episode how even we can learn stuff from turn zero um i think that i actually should have spent my first ban on sabotage um because if that happens then with your first ban you can either ban kp uh and then we end up on intercepts yep uh but i can ban intercept because i still have a ban left or you can ban rollout but then i can ban major offensive and we're already on kp yep um so uh, using my first ban on sabotage in that situation basically means that if you want to play major offensive, um, then we end up on KP, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that actually prevents that original using the first ban on sabotage, even though it means that you can ban KP and we have a lesser chance of playing KP. Um it means that that kind of fixes that initial problem of saying that, well, uh, we're either going to end up on sabotage or major offensive, regardless of what I do, because that's not actually true. So in hindsight, yeah. I should have used my first ban on sabotage. Yeah. And that's one of the things where you can kind of get caught in this mind game, right? Where mm -hmm. you're like, you're trying to figure it out. You're like, oh, we're going to end up here. And the actual reality of it is you're not going to end up there. And I think the thing that, I think one of the things about turn zero that I think misleads a lot of people is they get it. And I, I, I'm going to use the blizzard example again, because people get it so ingrained in their head that like a yep. specific scenario is so bad for them that they're willing to go like above and beyond to avoid it. And often if you don't go above and beyond to avoid it, sometimes you like fall into these things where you're like, Oh, I can actually do this other thing to maybe make it, less worse for me in this case you could have banned differently right right yep um and in other cases like you just kind of get used to playing playing those things so um but it, i also think like you, you know like you were like major major offensive like real bad for me i also think like long march is like not that different than major offensive on this board um, yeah the 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 big difference about long march is it gives me much easier access to that wall that's on the um on the bottom down of the, on the yeah. bottom yeah, yeah for sure for sure which is which is relevant for most you know really almost any objective we could end up on potentially so yeah um, i do think it also like long march does put your fds like i think farther from the fight though i think it does importantly. yeah um, it does 
you know, I, I don't know. So like going back to the FDs, like l- let's say that we, we end up on intercept major O supply drop, like where are you putting your, your FD drops? Um, or I guess maybe where would you think about putting your FD drops as part of your deployment choice here? It, it depends on if they're taller than that wall or not. Okay. Let's um, assume for now that they are. Let's assume for now that they are. If they are, I'd probably put one uh, like by that top wall on the left side of it. Like over here? Yep. Okay. Um, And then I'd probably put the other one right there in that light cover that's on like the corner of the, yeah, right there. That's probably what I'd do. So for those uh, listening, it's kind of like um, kitty corner to each other across the like gap in the, the L zone. Yep, both I guess. one one in light cover, one behind a wall. Yep, yep, um, and notably both with pretty good shots over the middle intercept point. Correct, um, and probably also within range of that cliff thing that you're likely to try and utilize as a firing position. Yes, yeah. Although uh, I haven't played the separatist list enough to know like how good it is at shooty, shooty stuff. I guess like if the rebel list doesn't have situational on stuff, it probably is okay at doing damage to it. Um, because it just because it's got a bunch of critical. Well, yeah, I don't know if I would say it's a bunch, right? It's you've got five critical weapons. So I would say five S and three RPSs. I played against it. It's is more than I'm willing okay. to. That's more fair. than I'd like to play against. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 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 Um, Yoda doesn't like critical. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I. But I also think rebels also don't like critical. Really. They don't. Um, yeah. So. You're right. I think. I think. Uh, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. Anyhow. Um. Yeah. So that's turn zero. Um. What are you? What are your thoughts? Uh yeah I I think obviously this is all this is something that we get asked to talk about a lot and it's one that's kind of really difficult to talk about in the abstract because there's so many possibilities and it's also difficult to talk about in the specific which is kind of what we did on this episode simply because you're only talking about one of many possibilities uh, obviously we tried to extrapolate this a little bit to be like well if this happens instead then this is what you want to do but um. Yeah, I would say the the best way to improve in this area is simply to play more games against different, hopefully different people than you normally do, and against different lists than you normally do. Um, and just visual, you know, visualize when you're driving, when you're sitting on the train, whatever, you know, you've got some idle brain space um, instead of pulling out your phone and doom scrolling. Think about think about some turn zero stuff, you know. Doom scroll on Legion HQ instead. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think, you know, as with most things, like repetition is the best way to do this. Um, you know, I would if you're if you're looking to like really get into competitive stuff, you know, rather than playing full games, maybe just you know, take uh your like weekly legion night with your competitive buddies and just be like, all right, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna play out like turn zero and turn one and two of like three games instead of playing a full six turns. That's just what we're going to do tonight. And um, I also feel like kind of like round tabling these turn zero discussions between like within your play group, a lot of the time um, in a way that we kind of just did here. 
uh, is also very helpful. Just, you know, sometimes you have to hear somebody else's thoughts to like see how the kind of matrix of turn zero cards fits all together, particularly with whatever board and whatever matchup you're at, right? There's really three huge variables. There's the battle deck, there's whoever you're playing against, the matchup, and whatever the actual terrain is. And those three things can like make things that are normally good bad really quickly or vice versa you know um, yep so. for sure all right well um happy thanksgiving everyone that's uh by, by the time you hear this it'll be very close to thanksgiving so uh we will be back next week which will be our episode immediately before pax hopefully i will have painted something whether that's Yoda or <laughs> some regardless Rebel of what it is, it will probably involve the color green. Potentially, uh, my rebels are mostly brown. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. it's really funny. I I have a very large rebel list. You know, I paid I played rebels for the first what two years of the game at least, and then I've obviously played them several times since then. Um, but somehow. I am utterly lacking in painted things that are like the current rubble meta. That's because <laughs> the old rubble stuff is pretty bad. Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> right. So my old, my, all my old rebel lists are either rebel trooper based or wookie based. Yeah, basically, or T forty seven based, or some combination of that. Yeah. Um. And now it's like Vets and Cassian and Ewoks and Ahsoka. And like, you know, I've none of, literally none of that painted. Uh, it's a little bit puzzling that I don't have Cassian painted because he's been out for a while and he's been good for a while. And somehow I have never played him in a major tournament. So that I cannot explain. But the Vets, I do not have any Vets painted. Obviously, I do not have any, any Ewoks painted. Um, I don't have my FDs painted. <laughs> so... You know, these are all things like Luke. That's all I have painted for the rebel. Uh, that's not true. No, I have, I, I have I have Din and I have baby baby Grogu. D uh, don't need those. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, Operative Luke, I have painted. He's actually one of my better paint jobs, if I do say so myself. That's one of those where I did the OSL properly <laughs> with an airbrush, um, and I think it looks pretty good. It's you know he's got his black outfit on. He's got the green OSL. Um, so yeah, it's um, I think one of my better paint jobs. But no, sadly, I do not need operative Luke. Okay, sorry. Well, if you do, but, yeah, you let me know. That's the that's my those are my only three rebel painted minutes. Okay, I appreciate I, I think, it. I think they're my only three. Oh, yeah. I've got R two and three PO, I guess as well. But that's yeah. only because they're car. Yeah, but somehow uh, I have about twenty rebels to paint, even though I played rebels for years. <laughs> so. Anyway. You're not really a rebel main anymore, so I think that that's fine. No, and I, frankly, I haven't been in anything main since really I picked up Empire and like added that to my repertoire. Because then after that, I picked up Droids, and then after that, I picked up Republic. And now I I would say that I'm not in anything main. Obviously, I had that ridiculous streak with Empire, um, yeah. in whatever last year, I guess. At this point, most of last year, some of this year. Oh, sure. I thought you were talking um, about the Bosque streak, but that was not the streak you're talking. About. No, that was a different one. Yes. That, well, that was, I guess, a separate streak. That was Bosque, and then into Palpatine. 
yeah. Um, I've actually I've lost I've lost two tournament games with Empire total. Uh, there's 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 some other factions sandwiched around two extremely ridiculous Empire streaks. Um, but uh, yeah, there was there was the Bosque Palpatine one, and then there was Blizzard. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't say I'm in anything main. Or have been in anything main really since I've since you abandoned the rebel cause traitor. He's a defector. <laughs> I've went back to rebels. I went back to rebels for uh, SoCal Open in 2021. Was that when you played the air speeders? Yeah, that was the air speeder rookie list. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won that tournament. So <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> since I dropped rebels, I'm undefeated with them. Um... Okay, <laughs> this guy over here. Yeah uh no um yeah it's just funny because i i guess i i never played rebels in the since vets have become cool so i don't know anyway it is what it is i got some pain to do they're gonna be brown uh they're probably <laughs> they're probably gonna be horrible i really i'm gonna have family in town the next week and then it's like four days to pax so mm-hmm. probably what yeah. i have time to do is like throw three colors on them with an airbrush uh and then not base them <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you really need like a rebel army, we can have a conversation. I'm sure that we can find some uh I know. Um I mean look, Nick played almost the exact list I want to play. And obviously he's not playing in packs. So, yeah. so <laughs> I just I there there are solutions to this yes. other than other than you slaving away at a painting table while <laughs> your family eats Thanksgiving upstairs. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see how much progress I make over the next, whatever, seven or eight days, and then we can figure it out. I generally dislike using other people's models, um, for a couple of reasons. One of them is simply that, like, I got my carrying case set up all working out and smooth. And if I was using someone else's models, unless they all happen to have washers on the bottom, that would like totally disrupt my whole Girl situation. Thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see. I like to use my own models. We will see how much. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, feel that. I, I feel that. Might have been a little uh, bit ambitious, but uh, I feel like you're always in this situation. This this is maybe maybe less so than normal, or more yeah. so than normal because of the scope. But I definitely the amount of times that we're like talking before a tournament, and you're like, "Oh, I really got to get some painting done." Is high. It is high. I think the, fr- the really the primary variable is the free time uh, golf yeah um and the fact that it's like 20 models instead of you know sometimes it's like this far out two weeks i'd, I'd say it's unusual for it to be more than like six to ten sure you yeah, know before yeah. before nova there was some doubt whether i'd get those arcs finished i got the arcs finished obviously but that was only like six models so yeah. although i had to paint some phase twos too so that's more like whatever 11 models 20 20 is a lot uh, 20 is a lot in two weeks i, I would say one squad a week is kind of like reasonable to me Um, especially with rebels since they have like cloth and faces and lots of things that are different colors like clones and droids and really even empire um you can get like 70 percent of the way there with an airbrush and then you just gotta you know with clones you gotta do the blue stripes or whatever your design thing is and you gotta paint in the in the crevices and you gotta paint the weapons black and that's it you know you don't have to do any faces um personally i hate I hate half-assing faces because they just look so bad if you do that. Um, 
I but, so I don't know. How do you do your faces? So I, I this is a big tangent. I know we weren't going to talk about hobby, yeah. Today, but I'm actually sort of interested because faces have been the, like the hardest thing that I've done. And what I do right now is I think I I like I basically um I put like a a base down of it's either elven flesh or barbarian flesh uh, from army painter. I don't remember which. Yeah. And then I and then I like agrax earth shade the entire face. Um, okay. So there's problem number one. Well, hold up. Okay. So I used to not Agrax Earthshade the face. Uh-huh. And it was terrible. Yes. Um so I I just I started Agrax Earthshading faces in desperation. This was a this was a desperation shade because when 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 I have things that look bad, I'm like, you know what? This can't look worse with shading with, a, with throwing a shade on it. So I'm just going to throw a shade on it. And I did it and it was kind of magical as far as picking out the details goes um but you're saying i'm making a mistake go ahead so it's not the fact of shading that's the mistake it's the color okay and i'll tell you why there's there's i took a um i took a airbrushing class years ago at nova open and the one thing that really stuck with me other than the general airbrushing thing is basically like anytime you're painting something living Mm -hmm. If it has basically, if it has skin, you got to use red in there somewhere, some version of red or pink or whatever, something that's reddish uh, okay. to make it look lifelike. So, um, I do the first thing I do, uh, and I'm I'm sure that your flesh tone, your base flesh tone, has some pink in it. Yeah, it's um, very pinky. It's almost too pinky, I would say. Like, okay. it would be my biggest complaint is that when I wasn't agraxing it, my faces looked like they were like sunburned yeah <laughs> they like real bad yeah. uh, so i use the um i use the citadel flush progression i'm not sure how different it is from um the army painter one the base one is this bugman's glow this is like the darkest color um so i base coat this and then i i work i forget how many steps one or two steps upward in like the flex flex flesh progression there's like uh elf flesh there's um there's another one that i'm there's like three there's like three different colors so i work like halfway up that chain and then um i throw a reichland flesh shade on it which is like a mix of brown and red it's like agarx earth shade but with some red added okay um and uh, obviously i need more of this because i'm very low (laughs) looking looking empty yeah. (laughs) yeah um and then i will add uh like one or two more layers of like the increasing increasingly lighter flesh tone to the you know whatever after you do the shading after i do the shading okay that's been my challenge so far is that like the shading and and eyeballs are like a whole nother thing eyeballs are a whole nother thing so i actually i typically do the eyeballs first you do them first before you shade yes i do them before i do anything else uh a skin or anything um and the reason for that is because eyeballs are tiny um and it's always easier to like surround a tiny space with paint than it is to like try and create a tiny space on top of an area that's already painted. So okay. look, look at look at us. This turned into a hobby episode despite our best efforts. So basically what I mean by that is typically when I hit the white on the eye, it's like too big, right? Because yep. eyes are tiny. And even if you take a super tiny paintbrush, it's going to be too big. And then I'll do the pupil 
which typically is just a straight line down the middle. Mm -hmm. And if you do the eyes first, you basically don't have to worry about this area, right? Because you're going to paint over it. Yeah, sure. So I, I do the white, which is a slit across, usually too wide. And then I do the, the eyeball straight down as like a up and down slash. It's like kind of like um, a cross, one white, one black sort of. Sort of, yeah. yeah. And then after that, I will take my, my flesh tone, my darkest flesh tone, and I will paint around and slightly over the eye, basically where that, wherever the eye doesn't belong. Okay. So creating the shape of the eye with the Reichlin flesh tone. Um, and then obviously when you do the wash, you got to like leave that part alone, right? Don't just wash the whole face. Otherwise, you're gonna I was going like, to say, like, like, say, like, otherwise you're going to get like jaundiced uh, eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty like uh, when I wash things, I, I am not selective. So, yeah, so that's the other thing. You got to be selective with the wash. Everything about like faces is like tiny brushes and detail. There's no, unless you're talking about a fur face, right? Obviously. But if you're talking about a flesh face, I have not found like a way to like quickly do that and make it look good. Sure. Um, that's fair. So, and then even, even like the layering, you know, you got to layer like specific areas. You know, think about the areas of the face that are raised, like the cheekbones, the nose, the chin, the forehead um if you want to get like really crazy you can paint like if you look most people have uh, um i've got some forehead wrinkles here so this is a good example but they have like wrinkles across the middle of their forehead right so you can do like a line or two in a darker color and leave it that way across the middle of the forehead if you want some variety up there in the forehead same thing with like you know above someone's eyebrows they typically have you just you know think about the way that the light hits a face and that's how you got to layer so that might be like describing a process that's more work than you wanted. But. It, it definitely is, but but that's okay. Yeah. I definitely I'm I I don't enjoy painting, so I'm all about the shortcuts that make it make me do it less. Um, yeah, and uh, faces are one of the things that like when they look good, they look really good. I feel like I did a pretty good job here. For example, on Dooku, I know the focus is gonna suck. Yo, his lightsaber straight. The real question is how you got his lightsaber to stay straight. I don't know. I painted okay. him a long time ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're not going to be able to see his face because my resolution on my camera sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, this trick. Whoever told me to do to put the hand behind him, this totally doesn't work. I for... I think it would work better if his face wasn't also a flesh tone. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> should I should I put my my beer can behind him? Well, now it's the same color as his cloak. So <laughs> 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 like I got. I, don't I got know, nothing out here. White or green or something. White. I, I have white. Uh, I don't. All know. the white I have access to are like bills, which is I'm not going to put. In uh, yeah, don't don't dox yourself here. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. Here's 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 blank white. There we go. Is this? Mm, nope. Still not no, working. No. You suck, camera. Whatever. Anyway, I feel like I'm pretty good at faces. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're pretty good at painting generally. So I, 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 you, you've taught me a few tips over the over the years. So yeah, I anyway, will have to my try that out. my rebel stuff is gonna look shitty. <laughs> he says shitty, but it will look just fine. Um, it's maybe unfinished is a better. That's probably that is absolutely a better better. Yeah, they will definitely not be based. Um, I'm probably gonna have to put like those little animal stickers from Target on the bases to do the unit markings. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, for one, am really ready to fire sport your rebels off the table. <laughs> <laughs> Very ready. We'll see. You're gonna have to do it one at a time because if I'm playing Han, I'm gonna be using reckless diversion. It's okay. I mean, my my um, there are tri- there are tricks around that in the, <laughs> the Republic Arsenal. I understand there are ways. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not um, worried about it. All right. Fair. Good to know. <laughs> yep. All right. Anyway. Um, I don't I really have anything at stake at PAX, so I haven't played Han in a while. <laughs> Han's fun. I'm I'm super excited to see Han uh maybe become a little bit more meta. Uh which... his his gun needs to not suck for that to happen, I think. Yeah. I just I don't know what you can really Yeah. Give him sharpshooter two and high velocity. Give him high velocity, he said. Yeah, bring it, bring it yeah. back to that. Like you know, Han just always removes two models with each shot. That's how he was when he first came out. You know, and it was like it was like just the right. And his cost has not really gone down since then. So it was just like the right amount of because because it's just quote unquote just two models. You know, it's not like he can like wipe whole units at one time. Um, I mean, it's just it's it, super reliable. It feels on theme for Han. I think pulling four clones off the table in a, in a single activation, yeah, from different units. You can bury your one of those shots, Mike, and that's only two. You're right, you're right. <laughs> you got me. Yep, you got me. <laughs> Con's <laughs> a range two, my gun might. Something's gone horribly wrong, for and he's this. probably also gonna die <laughs> <Yeah>. almost immediately. <laughs> so well, you can peek blue shots, sure. Nowadays, uh, anyway, point is range two is short. It Picking is. up two models a shot is not a lot to ask for a hundred point unit. Um, so. I mean, you say like it, like it's two models a shot. You, what you mean is four. What you're trying to say is four. Correct, but it's dispersed. And you know, yeah. If it were like just straight up four models from whatever, that yeah, that'd be pretty busted, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you don't you but... don't normally pick up four models every time you uh, take the attack action. Nope. Yeah. You got to change what faction you're playing then. I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. This is probably a good time to end before we get way too off, off yep. the rails here. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>